The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 245. One day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed. As when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a Time Lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Braveheart, Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding! Position universe. Wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. Panel I am Scottish. I can complain about things. She'll be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the fourth Doctor story, The Sunmakers. Joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Very well, thanks. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, be sure to join the StarQuest fan club by texting StarQuest to 66866. Send StarQuest to 66866, and you'll become part of that fan club where you'll get a couple mail, uh, emails a month with some great behind-the-scenes or uh, information and stuff about what's coming up on future uh, shows and that sort of thing with the network. So text StarQuest to 66866. And I also want to take a moment to let you know about another show that's on the StarQuest network called Secrets of Stargate that Father mm. Corey does with Jack yes. Barazzini and Victor Lambs and Lisa Jones. And it's just started, so you can get in early uh, with that <laughs> With that, if you haven't yet. Uh, I have to say, Father Corey, it's been a lot of fun listening to you guys do the show. It's been great. Well, we have a lot, we have a lot of fun doing it. Of course, it's fun to go back and, and do the watch through. And, and we're doing it a little bit different than we do here on, like, Secrets of Star Trek, for example. Uh, we're watching Stargate all the way through from the beginning. We're not going to jump around from, to, from Atlantis to SG-1 or anything like that. So it's kind of fun if you want to do a rewatch. You can do it along with us. Yeah, and I, it reminds me how much I love Stargate and what a great show that was. Mm -hmm. So uh, I've been, I've been rewatching. I'm, I'm just ahead of you guys. So uh, <laughs> I wanted to get a little ahead. So check out Secrets of Stargate at sqpn.com slash Stargate or wherever you get podcasts from. But today we're talking about Doctor Who. This is a fourth Doctor story from the fourth season, or is it the yeah the fourth season of the fourth Doctor, the fourth serial. There's very a lot of fours in this, so uh, we're <laughs> jumping back and forth with the fourth Doctor just because he's got so many episodes, and we wanted to uh, move back and forth. And so this is the fourth Doctor, Leela K nine, and Jimmy. Could you give us a recap about of what's going on in this one? The fourth Doctor, Leela, and K-9 land on Pluto in the far future, when Pluto is warm because it is surrounded by six suns and has no night. It has six suns because the people now are, wait for it, sun makers, and we have a title. <laughs> the problem is Pluto is run by a tyrannical, money-obsessed corporation that has people worship it. It also oppresses people with taxes that are impossible to pay, uses drugs in the air to induce fearful anxiety in the populace, and deals harshly with anyone who questions the system. Except for the few scavengers who live secret lives in what's known as the Undercity. 
So the doctor and a group of rabble neutralize the fear gas in the atmosphere that keeps the population in subjection and then lead a rebellion to overthrow the company. Yay. The end. (laughs) The end. (laughs) I have to say about this one, I liked it. Yeah, me too. It's Robert Holmes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It wasn't like it was the best or most original story. But I loved all of the character moments. I loved the the, mm-hmm. the doctor. He had some really great lines. I liked Leela in this, and I liked uh, you know some of the secondary characters. Uh, so I did. I really enjoyed this one. That was a lot of fun. Even even, even Canine had a few moments. I was, he, yeah. a few times where he's he's trying to get praise, and they say they say knock it off, Canine, and the tail just <laughs> drops. I yeah. like how Canine also shows agency like any other companion by refusing to stay mm-hmm. in the TARDIS when he's told to. Yep. <laughs> yes, stay. That's that's a, a dog that doesn't stay. Uh, well, I, yeah. yeah, especially the walk moment. <laughs> yes. So this is a, as I mentioned, it's a Robert Holmes story. He's considered the best writer of the era. He was also the script editor for this era. So his influence is even broader than the scripts he writes himself. But he wrote this after having unpleasant encounters with the British tax system. <laughs> And so there are constant references. They're cloaked, but they're meant to be obvious to the adults in the audience. There are constant references to the to the British equivalent of the IRS, which is the inland revenue, or here he calls it the inner retinue, (laughs) which is the group of guards that beat people up. Right. And there's just lots of stuff like that in here. And I have to say, I like me a good Robert Holmes parody with dark comedic undertones. <laughs> yeah. This is also Leela's seventh story, and it was going to be her last. There was a moment at the end where she was going to die, but she didn't. Uh, they decided it wouldn't serve the, the story well and the doctor well to have him suddenly grieving right at, before the triumphant moment. And mm. so they, she ended up getting an extra couple of stories. So she has nine adventures with the Doctor in total, which is more than Harry Sullivan, but not quite as many as most of the of the Doctor's companion, the Fourth Doctor's companions. But she has a huge number on Big Finish after this. Oh, fun! Yeah, you know when you talk about the the, the tax, the little comments about the tax code and everything. My my thought was Tax Man by the Beatles, the song Tax Man. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm yes. the Tax Man. Yeah, it must be great to have your your own show where, you know, when something bad happens, you could just go, you know, and write a script in which you take the, you can work out your aggression and your tension and mm-hmm. your anxiety and really work it out. Uh, you know, I, I'd love to be able to 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 have that chance <laughs> like he does. You know, kind of, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Another kind of another theme on this one is is the company town. You know, of course, that's, yep. we see I think we see that much more here in United States history than, say, in British history. But there's some of it in British history as well. Although the, the company Megropolis here. Yeah. 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 But but you would have the, the company town where you would work for the company and you have to live in, in company provided housing that you would rent. You'd have to buy from the company provided store. That, would, of course, would mark things up. You wouldn't get actual money. You'd get script a lot of times instead of actual cash. And so you were basically, you know, six, the song 16 Tons kind of talks about it. You know, you're basically in, in slavery to the company. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it is also another classic Who story about the doctor fomenting a rebellion against an oppressive regime. I mean, this, this is a very common theme that we see come across in a lot of uh, classic era Who, but also C- some in new Who. Certainly the seventh doctor does it all the time. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Uh, 
The uh, couple of influences of science fiction influences on this story, I believe, are I haven't read this to see it confirmed, but just from my own knowledge of science fiction, it seems like this story, even though they don't make a big deal out of it, is influenced by a couple of Isaac Asimov stories. Uh, One of them is Caves of Steel, where you have Earth is like covered by by city, it's like Coruscant, and it's very rare that people get to go up on top and actually see the sky. And we have that here because Pluto is apparently covered by six megropolises and only the elite get to go up on the roof, even though the roof is really nothing special. <laughs> it's just a, <laughs> just the roof of an industrial complex. And then the other is the Isaac Asimov story Nightfall, which is about a planet that is centered in or placed in such a way among a group of stars that it only experiences night every number of thousand years. And whenever that happens, civilization crashes because people freak out. And so both of those ideas here of this giant city that you never get to see the sky and the sky is filled with six stars, both seem to be borrowed from Isaac Asimov or from somewhere, but they don't really do much. Those those facts don't really play a large role in the story. They're part of the world building, but they don't drive the plot. Yeah, I'm surprised, like, because the idea of the, the Sunmakers is the title, but it really doesn't have yeah. much to do with what you, goes on in the story. You'd think it would be a plot about a corporation that makes suns, and sunmaking would be central to the plot. And no, it, it's not. It's just Pluto has six of them now. Mm-hmm. Deal. <laughs> You know, it's also interesting, uh, uh, this era of Doctor Who is, you know, one of the characteristics. The Doctor shows up here on Pluto and is surprised. You know, Pluto shouldn't be Earth-like. Why is it Earth-like? And he doesn't know everything, you know? And Mm -hmm. I I find that a refreshing change from a lot of New Who, where the Doctor shows up and he knows everything. And if if something is different from what he expects, it must be because somebody messed with it. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a very different kind of way of approaching the stories and and I, I i i find it refreshing so we also have the this character named cordo that they mm-hmm. encounter early he's he's a uh employee of the company whose father just died and has to pay the death taxes that are much higher than he expected and is about to throw himself off the building to kill himself because of, in despair yeah and death taxes were like Today, actually, we have death taxes and they're accepted, but back in this era, at least in the United States, we didn't have death taxes. Right. And and I think that that's meant to be part of the parody, part of the satire, mm-hmm. is ev- they're taxing even death. Well, they do that now. <laughs> yeah, right. No longer parody. <laughs> yeah, although, mm-hmm. although I guess they call them estate taxes. But there are a bunch of other t- types of taxes. In addition to death taxes, they, they have work taxes, so they tax you for working. Not just mm-hmm. your income. They tax the work itself. They have output taxes, breathing taxes, so they do tax your oxygen. <laughs> and the doctor hypothetically suggests a double vision tax for people with more than one eye. <laughs> yes, the the tax man they call, they call he's called the the gatherer or Hade is mm-hmm. his is his proper name. He loves that one. I I liked the character of Hade. He was kind of funny. I I thought he was mm-hmm. amusing. Yeah. Um he was sort of bombastic. He was a very much a a, a toady of the his boss, mm-hmm. the collector. Um and his it, I wanted to make a list. I didn't, but I was I was I thinking did. of making a list of all how good oh, all the 
the names he put, he gave to the collector, all the obsequious names. So maybe you give some of them. He starts out, and I didn't list all of them, but I listed different types. You'll notice he tends to be more polite to the to the collector early on with the epithets he gives him, like your eminence. Yes, but later he starts to he starts to use epithets that the collector does not perceive as insulting, but they would be mm-hmm. to a normal person. He refers to him as your globosity, your corpulence, <laughs> and your orotundity, all of which would imply that the collector is fat, which he's not. I guess they yeah. meant to cast an actor who was overweight, but they really didn't. <laughs> At one point, he refers to the collector as monstrosity. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I- it was, it was, uh, it was, I, I, that interaction, you know, the, the, the guy, so early on, Hade feels like he's the boss and he's really manipulating, but it turns out he's just a, a mid-level manager who has really feels his, you know, his, uh, authority. Uh, but he always, there's always a, a boss above the mid-level mm-hmm. manager yeah. boss. He's pretty much like a vice president type position, you know, yeah. he's, he's got some authority, but not the complete authority. Right. One one thing you'll notice about the um, about the collector in this is so he's he's apparently confined to a travel chair. It's like a wheelchair, but futuristic. But if you you'll notice early on, he has this weird green tinge mm-hmm. to his lips and his cheeks and stuff. So you know, at first I wasn't I wasn't sure is this just a makeup choice or is it meaning he's not human. And it turns out it's the latter. He's not human. Mm -hmm. It had been ages since I'd seen this, so I didn't remember all the details. But he's not human. He's a member of a species from the planet Usurius, which is a (laughs) part of the parody. Mm -hmm. It's a play on usury, which is excessive taking of interest. And so he's a Usurian, and we're told that in their native form, the Usurians are poisonous fungi that look like sea kale with eyes. <laughs> and, <laughs> and at the end of the story, the collector is forced to revert to his native form. So he starts shrinking and turning into a kind of a green glob. Mm. But he goes, there's a little hole. There's a basin <laughs> in the bottom of his travel chair with a hole in it, and he goes down the hole. And so he is effectively flushed down a toilet. And (laughs) I'm sure that that's what Robert Holmes meant the audience to understand, even though it is, is, you know, cast in a sci-fi setting. He's Uh, symbolically flushing the tax man down the toilet. Yeah. So I kind of compared this, by the way, like watching this whole thing. I'm like, this is essentially like Star Wars because the collector is the emperor. Hade is Darth Vader, that you know the uh, the but a much more charming Darth Vader. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, the Doctor is of course Luke. Leela is of course Leia. Uh, the Undercity Dwellers, they're the Ewoks. <laughs> yeah, oh. <laughs> or at least the Rebellion. Yes, yeah, so, yeah. I felt like they were the Ewoks, like the the one the people who you don't expect to be able to rise up and throw off the uh, the the Empire or the uh, the the oppressive regime. And managed to do it. And it's really, I really like the way that you go from, in the beginning, the Undercity Dwellers are really just bad people. They're just, they're bad. Yeah. By the end of the story, they're on the Doctor's side, they're allies, they're, they're good people. There's a subtlety in that. Yeah, there's, yeah. they're the leader of the, um, 
of the Undercity people is a guy named Mandrel. And he, at first, he is just bad. He's he's mm-hmm. like taking Leah, uh, taking Leela as a hostage and forcing the doctor to go steal for them. And gonna he's going to kill uh, Leela if the candle burns down to a certain level, which it does, and he's prepared to go through with it. But then, once the doctor spells out a credible plan for how to get rid of the company, he instantly pivots because he's mm-hmm. he's like a former city worker that has the background to understand the doctor's plan and how it actually would work, and he instantly yep. becomes a good guy from that point. And I I like that pivot. Mm-hmm. I also like Leela's lines concerning him. Leela gets some great lines in this. <laughs> oh yeah, she's the most oh, violent companion ever, even more than Ace. Yes. And so early on when they meet the Undercity people and they're not instantly on good relations with them, Leela whispers to the doctor, let me get him, doctor. I could cut his heart out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, and then later when, they, when the candle has burned down to the we're going to kill Leela level, she declares to all of them, before I die, I'll see this rat hole ankle deep in blood. That is a promised thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. At another oh. point, she she shows her contempt for Mandrels. You have nothing, no courage, no pride, no manhood. Yeah. I mean, Leela really takes them to task. I really, I love the fact that she gets to be more than just an aggressive beauty in this one, though. She she displays mm-hmm. both heroism and agency. She takes charge. She's mm-hmm. she oh, you yeah. know, leads a, a rescue attempt for the Doctor. I, I really like well, that. Well, and she shows that that Mandrel's more bluster than anything else. But of course, again, she's gonna. You know, if he did try to kill her, I, oh, yeah. I think he realized very quickly on he would be losing body parts, if not a lot of blood himself. So yeah, uh, it was kind of a futile thing. But he was a lot. Of course, he he, he pulled the bluster back up against the doctor because he knew the doctor wasn't going to go after him. But with Leela, he was like, okay, I'll stay away. Right. <laughs> uh, I also like how the computer on this planet that the collector has is able once once at, at one point they bring in Leela and mm-hmm. and interrogate her and it's like who are you because she's not tattooed with a number like everybody else's from birth mm-hmm. and, and which is, is like a holocaust reference right and says that she's she doesn't know how to describe where she's from she's a member of the Seva team and mm-hmm. the computer is able to deduce what planet she's from by realizing that Seva team must be a ref- a corrupted reference to the survey team that was mm-hmm. lost on this planet in the future and and it's able to say okay she's from this planet and i liked that and then she also mentions the doctor who's a time lord and the computer is then able to figure out oh okay time lords are the oligarchic root rulers of the planet gallifrey which was classified as Category 3 in the last uh, financial survey with correspondingly low financial exploitation potential. Uh, you know, really, the Usurians, really, they're like Ferengi, the totally oh, yeah. like, uh, you know, over-the-top capitalist uh, on, taking on, advantage. Only eviler. You, yeah, yeah, right, exactly. right. I mean, it's about the same. No, it's previous to that era, right? Uh, yeah. Because this is 70, 1977, so... Right. I wonder if there was some uh, some inspiration on the part of uh, of uh, TN, well, Star Trek well, TNG. Like the collector, the Ferengi are short and bald. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the there's a I, I like the scene. The Doctor, the Undercity dwellers, they force the Doctor because he looks like he's from the uh, the upper class. They said, "Oh, he can carry out a uh, you know, one of our schemes to get more money." 
they make a they make a fake debit card which looks like this giant box because again yeah. 1977 there were no ATMs really I think I mean ATMs might have been around somewhere but they were not common uh, it was very early early in that technology and the idea of having a, an actual credit card where you would swipe was pretty was very uncommon at yeah. that point I would assume yes and so but so they so they have this this fake debit card that they make him take to an ATM quote unquote where he's gassed uh, by the the company men who was he gassed because they were they had him under surveillance already yes. or okay yeah. it, they later when they decide to cut him loose so he can lead them back to the rebel leaders they they explain it as a malfunction of the machine but it was really because they were tracking him okay right. okay um, also the, was... what they think he is is an ajac which is apparently like a mining supervisor and there are Ajax in one of in Magro- in one of the others. We're in Megropolis One, but mm-hmm. there uh, the Ajax are apparently from a different Megropolis. Right, number four. Yeah, and oh, the, and e- oh. each Megropoli has um, has fifty million citizens. So there's three hundred million people on Pluto. Right, right, and apparently uh, nobody on Earth. Yes, uh, and, and, and then, that's how we end it. Is that you? You know, go back and repopulate Earth. Yeah. yeah. And that, that made me wonder if this would be, could be, it, uh, there's no official date, but if this was a uh, concurrent with Ark in space or after in space. Yeah. Yeah. Or after somewhere after that, where, yeah. where earth had been abandoned, but then people came back. Interesting. Interestingly, the, the human race also, it's implied that although this can't be true, but it's implied, I mean, unless you want it to be true, it's implied <laughs> that there are no humans anywhere, but Pluto. So this is like the last mm-hmm. of the human race. And according to the collector, as the resources on the different planets in the solar system ran out, they moved humanity progressively first mm-hmm. to Mars from Earth. Then they had to jump over the gas giants, although they could have used their moons, the bigger mm-hmm. ones, but they didn't. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then to uh, and they they've ended up on Pluto. Um, but they say that they cannot be economically moved out of the solar system. So when the suns for Pluto run down, humanity will die. So humanity is on the, uh, is at risk in this episode. And they mentioned there was another planet outside of Pluto. Oh too. yeah. Didn't they do that? Yeah, that yeah, was which great. Is fun. Um, they, uh, the name of the planet is Cassius. Mm. Which is we've en- eventually in real life, eventually we did find, find that there's another planet outside the orbit of Pluto, right? Well, it, it's going to depend on what you classify as a planet. Now, <laughs> according to my definition, which is the correct one, a, a planet is anything that has big enough mass to pull it into a hydrostatic or round shape, but is not does not have enough mass to ignite fusion and start glowing. So, Plut- yeah, Pluto's a planet. It may be a small one. If you want to call it a dwarf one, fine, but it's a planet. And okay. there are at least 50 of them in the solar system, including ones mm-hmm. beyond Pluto. Including the moon. Including our, our moon. moon, yes. We live yeah. on a twin planet. Yes. Yep. <laughs> but but no mention of Mondas. Yeah. <laughs> no, apparently no, no counter-Earths as far as we know. Okay. But th- what Canine says is that Pluto was believed to be the outermost planet until the discovery of Cassius, which could leaves open, are there more beyond Cassius? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, the, we mentioned the um, these anxiety-inducing chemical, they call it PCM, that, that they uh, pump in there to keep people fearful of the government. Although, uh, you wonder how they 
they they must counteract it in the yes. enforcers. That that's what mm-hmm. uh, there's a guy the doctor meets named Bisham who was like an upper level alpha whatever guy who mm-hmm. who was at where they made the PCM. And I mean, he worked in that division, and there were these pills that only the aristocrats got to try, and he tried them and felt marvelous. <laughs> and at first, you, you're thinking, "Oh, these are like to get you high," but no, they're to counteract the effects of the fear gas. Right. Right. So the right. the aristos are not in constant fear all the time, and and I love Leela's reaction at one point when she encounters this gas. She enters an area in the city where the gas is present and she's like canine something is wrong i'm i'm fearful and <laughs> yeah. and canine mm-hmm. says it's just this stuff in the gas in the air and she says oh it is just something in the air i should not be afraid then and just ignores her fear yeah and i love that <laughs> yeah. that's awesome yep exactly i, lo- I love that leela is unfamiliar with fear she is fearless uh <laughs> Yeah. Uh, speaking of Bisham, the doctor meets him in the uh, correction center. So the doctor is captured. We have a lo- the, one of the the symbol the tropes of Doctor Who, where the doctor's captured, then escapes, and Leela is captured, then escapes, and they're like getting captured and escaped at different times and that sort of thing. And that drives a lot of the plot is them trying to uh, hook back up again. Um, it's, it's comedy of errors, you know. You yeah. go here to rescue the doctor, but he's already been released and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, it is. This is so many amusing mo- moments where, like, when the doctor's in the in the detention center and he's got a straitjacket on, and the the guard comes in. Uh, evidently, it's a torture thing. It's like they 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 put a helmet on you and you and you experience pa- oh, uh, you know pain. But it's it's two stage. He and Bishop are in this stage where they're going to treat their their neural pathways so that when the torture begins, it will be vastly more painful. Right. 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 <laughs> They're softening him up, but for the real torture, right now. Meanwhile, the doctor, even though he's been straightjacketed, has managed to get up and rewire the device so that uh, when the technician comes in, he actually warns him, "I wouldn't touch that." <laughs> yeah, so- the doctor gets up and goes for a hop, which he says is very invigorating, and he goes over to a console and then uses his mouth pull out elements and in the wall in the machine and resequence them. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, the guy, the technician turns it on and electrocutes himself, and that's one of the ways that actually the doctor doesn't escape that way. He only gets out because uh, Hade has sent his uh, assistant Marn to go get him because they had they want him to lead them back into the uh, to the undercity. But uh, yeah, I, it, it, then they, there was a whole jelly baby thing with Bishop and all that sort of stuff. So a lot of fun, there. which is a little chilling because what happens is the the doctor is gonna is. So Marn, who's the assistant to uh, the tax collector, court, uh, the, the gatherer, Hade, mm-hmm. Marn comes down with some guards to get the doctor, and they take him out of the straitjacket, and, and he puts on his, his, his you know, coat again, and, the, and he says, what about my friend, meaning Bisham? And she says, just you. And mm-hmm. so as they go off, we get this shot of Bisham just laying there to have his brain amplified for torture. And we see the doctor's hand come back on screen and leave a bunch of jelly babies for him, which he <laughs> yeah. can't eat because he's in a straight jacket, too. <laughs> right. And it's like, yeah, this is a little uncomfortable, leaving Bish- Bisham to his fate. Yeah. But it's the jelly babies that allow Leela to identify him as a friend of the doctor. And so when, when Leela breaks in to rescue the doctor, she actually res- rescues Bisham. And you wonder if the doctor did that because he expected Leela to show up to rescue him. Or, well, could, maybe. Could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
we do get a use of the Sonic in this episode. The Doctor uses it to open up a vault in the collector's office, yep. which uh, we don't see the Sonic a lot. Yeah, and right before that, he hypnotizes a guard. Yeah. He mm-hmm. just looks at the guard who's guarding the vault and says, it is your sleep time. And <laughs> as he's hypnotizing the guard, not only does the guard fall asleep, but Leela falls asleep. Yeah, (laughs) which is great. And then he he covers the guard's ears with his hand so the guard can't hear and gives the wake command to Leela. And then they go to open the vault, which he does with the Sonic. And Leela enters the vault first and is shocked by an electrical field. And that was to be the point of her death. Okay. But Mm. we're like 15 minutes from the end of the story or less. And it was judged not to be appropriate for this doctor or this story to have Leela die in that way. So she gets right. another couple of stories. She's eventually going to do a somewhat better Sabalom Glitz on Gallifrey. <laughs> she, she meets a guy named Andred, and we see some flirting, actual flirting. It's not just in the last five minutes, okay. but, yeah. but we see some actual <laughs> flirting, and then she ends up staying on Gallifrey, and she's th- thus on Gallifrey during the Time War and things like that. And so mm. Big Finish has explored her later life on Gallifrey. Oh, cool. Nice. Uh, I, I'm look, I would look forward to, to listening to this, because I've come to like Leela. She's a, she's a fun companion. Oh, she's awesome. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Um, so speaking of the hypnotism, there is a great moment. So the wake word is wake up. That's what the doctor has decided to be the wake word. So when you hear me say wake up, you will wake. And uh, so he gets into an argument with the collector who shows up, and, and he's like, the people have to wake up. Which is what wakes the guard <laughs> yep. who comes over and sticks a gun in the in the in the doctor's back. It's like, don't oh, the doctor did, didn't but think of that. This is the point where the collector is talking about the death of humanity. So the guard quickly switches sides. Yes, yeah. he sees which Speak- side the bread the bread is buttered on. By the way, yep. also there is a moment where there, if I recall the way this specific sequence, yeah. Um, so when they get the vault open. They do the classic doorway gag where you have two people trying to go through a door at the same time and they don't fit. And mm-hmm. so Leela and the doctor are both trying to enter the vault at the same time and they can't because they're, they're too wide for the doorway. And that's what, why then Leela rushes in ahead of the doctor and gets shocked. Right, right, right. right. But she, um, in effect, speaking, saved him because if he had yeah. just gone in, yeah. yeah. Speaking of... Uh, uh, Switching sides, you know, Marn, of course, throughout, she's, she's kissing up to uh, the gatherer, yeah. gatherer Hade, but every once in a while you can see kind of a look where she's just tired of his stuff. Yes. And so as soon as, <laughs> as soon as she comes around the corner and the rebels are there, she's got a gun, they're pointing at her and it's like, oh, I'm on your side, yeah. hands the gun over. Yeah. I embrace the revolution. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which, is, which is interesting given the belief system this group of people have because previously she's been saying things like praise the company and yes. other people have been saying glory be to the company and other religious epithets that have been adopted and applied to the company yes um, makes you wonder if she was receiving the pills or not or if she was <laughs> one that was also under under the influence of the gas yeah because they don't say either way they but. don't say but i would guess uh, that she's i would guess that she's on the pills so she's not really yeah. affected by the fear gas yeah there, the, speaking of the religious language, there's a line where the the to err is computer, to forgive is fine, which is a yeah. it, not like okay, but as in a tax or fee <laughs> that is imposed yep. on others. Uh, Al- so although hilarious. the second half of that is spoken by the doctor, so it may just be a joke. 
Yeah, I think he yeah. was, oh, yeah, was he was uh, trolling uh, Hayde yeah. at that point, I think, when they were well, together. Also on the subject of taxes, Leela, of course, is not familiar with them since she's from a country that – from a air region that does not use money, presumably the 17 barter for everything. Mm-hmm. And so she she tr- takes a stab at figuring out what they are and proposes their like animal sacrifices to tribal gods, which the doctor <laughs> basically confirms. Um, also, yeah. also the uh, apparently the amount of tax jokes in this and and insults for the British tax system was was even more than what found found their way into the final script. But Graham Williams mm. toned them down. <laughs> you can imagine. I can imagine this was not uh, po- this was popular among most people, but not at the uh, the inland revenue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and at near the end, there's a moment when you know the revolution is underway. Uh, the the uh, the rabble have gone to the roof to look at the sky because they've never been able to see the sky before. And Hade is just uh, outraged that these these low life people, these class you know, lower class people. Are are doing this, and he goes and confronts them, like just completely oblivious to the danger he's putting himself in. And he ends and up take... defenestrated without a window. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they throw him off the thousand meter, you know, roof uh, to to his, and he he yells for a long time. I don't know if you caught that, oh, yeah. but there's a long <laughs> yell as he's going down. I felt bad for him because as much of a of a bad guy he was, he was kind of amusing and 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 funny. Yeah, but uh, yeah, um, so. The doctor kind of ends with a uh, uh, a statement that basically says that commercial imperialism is as bad as military conquest, as he says. And there's a little bit of a you know anti you know yeah. capitalism thing. Although runaway capitalism is is bad. So it, I mean, this, it's like okay, that. Robert Holmes. It's not the capitalism that's the problem here. It's the taxation, yes. which is the socialization right. of capital. Right, and so really, what you're attacking is excessive and inhuman socialization. Not right. so you're effectively criticizing the socialist part of your system, without realizing that that's not the same thing as the wealth generating capitalism. Right. right. Yes. The the you you have a it's essentially a socialist culture because the government is the company and the company is the government and you know they, yeah. they own the means of production, et cetera, et cetera. So. Also, uh, it, it's the doctor in talking to the collector at one point learns that the Usurians got control of humanity through normal business operation, which right. is mm-hmm. you know okay, Google, Facebook, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They come in and buy them out and take control. Yes, there is a, also a, a an amusing frame story in this from the beginning to the end, the first scene, last scene, where the doctor is playing chess against K uh, nine. And K nine is beating him, and yep. at the very end, as you know, the K nine keeps saying "mate" in six moves, master. And the doctor like surreptitiously tilts the TARDIS so that the board falls over. Oh, what a shame! <laughs> like, I guess and, we'll have to start all over again. Like he did and not even got want- a little growl. Even got a little growl out of K nine out for that one. <laughs> yes. Although that's uh, although that's cute, it's unrealistic. K nine would have the exact layout of the board in his memory. Right, oh, yeah. I would have loved actually him to say that. That's so. That is okay, Doctor. I I have the I memorized the the placement of all the pieces. Yep. Let's start again. <laughs> that was good. I mean, so, he's, he's got camera eyes. Just replay the footage. Oh yeah, yeah. He's also got that great laser nose where he takes out a lot of the bad guys with it in this one. Oh yes. So, uh, any other things uh, that we didn't mention, Father Corey? 
kind of on a, on a geeky note, computer geek note, uh, you'll see various walls and various panels have a, a wallpaper that look like a, a circuit trace. And it is. It's actually, um, as I understand it, it's actually a memory chip made by a, uh, AMD, oh. Advanced Micro Designs. Cool. So they from back in the 70s, they got the, the blueprints or whatever you want to call it, the, the, the print that would be used to actually create the patterns on the chip. And huh. that was so that you'll see this and, and you can tell it because it's got the AMD logo on like on the right side. <laughs> Does you it actually really? see AMD <laughs> written on it and it's all over the place. So it was like the background for when the doctor was getting his mem- was his mind prepared for torture. It was behind the collector. It was on panels. It was all over the place. So they somehow they must have got a copy of this, this pattern. It just printed a whole bunch of them so that they could use it as wallpaper. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, how about you, Jimmy? Anything else? One of the uh, major subplots in this is Leela gets captured and is going to be executed. And and they're more creative than normal. I mean, normally firing squad or something like that. It's just a firing squad with laser pistols if you want it to be a science fiction execution. And no, they're going to steam her. They have a <laughs> right. big steamer, and they're going to kill her with steam. And the controller has a connoisseur's appreciation for the cries of a dying person. And he's, like, concerned that vibration from the machinery is going to, is going to make it impossible to hear the subtlest tones of her despair. And, <laughs> and so it's really a kind of chilling thing. Mm-hmm. Of course, the doctor rescues Leela, but the idea of using superheated steam to kill a person is a, is ghoulish but creative. So I want to give Robert yeah. Holmes points for being <laughs> yeah. ghoulish and creative. Maybe that was one of his thoughts as he was dealing with the, their tax tax man, throw him in the boiler. <laughs> yeah, they they were there was yeah the bad guys. This were quite evil and sadistic, and yeah, they were they were quite chilling. So the actor who played Hade, I saw, he mentioned that um, he got inspiration for the character, as he played it, from uh, Poobah from the Gilbert and Sullivan opera of the Mikado. Yes, mm. he's very much like Poobah. Okay. Poobah is uh, the Lord High everything else in the Mikado. <laughs> <laughs> he, so in, in the town of Titipu, they have a Lord High executioner. And then Poobah is the Lord High everything else. He's assumed okay. all of the other offices except for Lord High Executioner. Hmm. And he's very imperious. He's he's very proud of his of his lineage and his breeding. And he's he is uh he, he for example, he is extremely proud of the fact that I am I have I am have pre-Adamite ancestry. I can trace my lineage back to a protoplasmal primordial atomic globule. <laughs> That's awesome. And he will do anything for money. Awesome. It offends his family pride, but he must master his family pride by stooping to take bribes. <laughs> uh, you know, at one point I thought, hey, the way that he was delivering his line sounded a lot like uh, Malthazar from Galaxy Quest, too. Like, it, just, mm-hmm. it was just like that that way of talking like this. Yeah. You, know, you are our only hope. So, very very <laughs> theatrical, where you've got to project your voice to the back of the theater. Yes. Yep. Also, his he, he's kind of dressed like, I mean, he's got this robe like mm-hmm. you, you would see in the Mikado. And he's got this headdress, and with the robe and the headdress, it's kind of priestly. It's not like a Christian mm-hmm. priest, but yeah. it, it's vaguely suggestive of a priest in some religion. Yeah. Okay. 
So any any other notes just before we wrap up? I want to make sure that nope. I get Nope, nope. All right, so uh, that will do it for the Sunmakers. We first want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the Secrets of Doctor Who, including this time Brian W., Dustin B., Clint C., and John R. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. What did you think of the Sunmakers? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send an email to Who at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the 11th Doctor Christmas special called The Snowmen. Uh, well, okay. <laughs> better than Better than... The Lion, the Widow, and the Wardrobe, or whatever it was. (laughs) That's right. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Thanks, Dom. Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, he can't make ends meet. Probably too many economists in the government. Right. This is going to be fun.